Hi, I'm Craig Williams, and this is Beyond the Tassel. So, you've decided to go to college. Well, that's a wonderful commitment you've made for your future. This week, I'd like to talk about fit. Because just as you wouldn't purchase a pair of jeans or a dress shirt without specifying the size, or take medication without first understanding the proper dosage for you, you really shouldn't view your choice of college as a one-size-fits-all proposition. In fact, I would argue that a poor fit in college choice is far and away an uglier and more wasteful look than a poorly fitting wardrobe. So let's talk about it. You know, college is probably one of humankind's most efficient and successful efforts to simulate experience through exposure to theoretical and practical understanding and problem solving. I mean, think about it. You are learning from others who have done a thing or proved a thing, in some cases for hundreds or even thousands of years. You enter a program of study when you enter college, wherein the entirety of the historic stack of human experience, consisting of tens of thousands of years across hundreds of disciplines, is compressed into a four-year educational journey. Insights from many hundreds of generations of the human family, reaching back to early man, across cultures, geography, conflicts, and global awakening to who we are as a species. Research in every conceivable field is unwrapped, explored, challenged, and put into context of how it matters to us today. Works of art, literature, music, and technological innovation are birthed through the juxtaposition of ideas and the collaborative opportunities inherent in this gathering of searchers of knowledge. And then there's the social growth, new understanding of ourselves, new relationships with others, in most cases, our first time out of the house, living on our own, transitioning from a state of dependence to independence and interdependence. Well, you know, that's college in a nutshell. If life is a learning journey, and it is, then college is a head start on the stuff humankind has grappled with for millennia. So how do you find your place in this vast universe of collegiate opportunity? Well, the first thing of which I remind high school students and college explorers alike is that their needs are unique, that their circumstances may look nothing like their best friends or the person they've gone to school with since kindergarten. To this point, you've experienced life through your own lens. Well, sure, you'll have some things, maybe even a lot of things, in common with the people around you. And that's great. But let's face it, we are all unique individuals. So let's begin by considering your interests. For example, do you love to read? Are you into science fiction? Are you a Harry Potter fan? And if so, are you Gryffindor or are you more of a Slytherin kind of person? Are you an athlete? Do you like math and science? Do you like to write? Are you a musician or an artist? Do you enjoy large crowds or do you prefer a smaller social circle? Does the notion of attending college in a different part of the country or even overseas appeal to you? Or would you prefer to stay closer to home? Are you someone drawn to the big city, or are you better suited to the countryside or smaller cities? All of these things and more will go into your consideration of where you'll attend college. And ultimately, once you've done your research, you may just find yourself kind of just trusting your gut. And you know what? That's fine. I'm actually a pretty strong advocate to listening to your gut. And we'll talk further about that later on. Because what we call our gut instinct is our brain's connection 
to all the inputs we've already considered and processed in one way or another. The major key here is to understand the options and know yourself well enough to have some sense as to how you might best fit into those options. Now, I often encourage students to consider two things rather broadly. First, what kind of student are you? In terms of your basic interests, that is. For example, what do you find most interesting? The STEM fields or the humanities? So, let me explain. Many students are more drawn to what we call STEM fields, which stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics. Now, this might involve coursework and ultimately careers in all manner of engineering fields, computer science, medicine, business, physics, mathematics, or geographic information science, and many more. Others are more drawn to what we broadly categorize under the heading of humanities. These are things like history, philosophy, literature, law, politics, religion, archaeology, anthropology, the arts, and various language specializations. Now, there is no right or wrong answer here. This is about pursuing your interests, acquiring a deeper understanding of yourself, and perhaps finding a real passion into which you will invest yourself later. Second, I'd like you to ask yourself, finances aside for now, if you'd prefer to study closer to home, or if you'd like to stretch your legs a bit and try a new region, a new state, or even a different country. Of course, there are lots of ways to skin this cat, but for now, I'm suggesting you remove some of your usual constraints and just consider what you're drawn to. We can discuss financial constraints and opportunities later on. Now, there are over 3,500 colleges and universities in the United States alone, and that's before we start counting the trade schools, tech schools, professional schools, and for-profit institutions. So, for the purposes today, we're going to focus on the nonprofit private schools and the public state-based institutions. Now, these are schools like the University of Iowa, Auburn University, Southern Illinois University, Harvard, UCLA, Stanford, and every community college in America. So here's a basic overview of various types of colleges from an institutional perspective. First up, and the type of school with which you may be most familiar is the community college. Now, this is a two-year institution which grants what is typically known as an associate's degree and often enables students to transfer those credits toward a four-year degree at a college or university. This type of school is generally a commuter school since most of its enrollment comes from nearby communities. Some do have on-campus dorms, but most often this housing is used by student-athletes or others who are recruited from out-of-district communities. Now, these are almost always state or county-subsidized public institutions, and they have a range of options students can pursue toward professional certifications in addition to associate's degrees or transfer credits, as we mentioned earlier. Now, when we talk about the college experience, we are generally talking about a four-year degreed program at a fully accredited college or university. But for some students, Community college is an excellent fit or an excellent start to an excellent fit. So we definitely want to keep it on the menu. But let's move on now to the four-year college or university. Now, the primary difference between a standalone four-year college and a university is that the professors at universities produce research in addition to teaching classes, whereas at a standalone college, professors are almost always exclusively engaged in teaching students at the undergrad level. Also, it is notable that at universities, 
there is a presence of graduate students studying for advanced degrees and who not only teach many classes, but co-mingle regularly with undergrads. Now, this is not the case at a standalone college. Now, there are exceptions, but this is the general reality. Also, you may hear the term LAC, which stands for Liberal Arts College, tossed about. And this is descriptive of a style of education that features a broad and fairly deep dive into the sciences, the arts, and the humanities. Some of America's most famous colleges are liberal arts focused. Among the most well-known of this type might be Amherst College, Williams College, Swarthmore, and Bowdoin. Now, what you may not know is that the United States Naval Academy, as well as the United States Military Academy at West Point, are also liberal arts colleges. So it is a style of education which has its roots in Greek methodology of education originating in the 4th century. Students who choose this option will find a highly rewarding undergraduate experience with generally outstanding access to professors, teaching assistants, and peer groups, or cohorts. Now, the term undergraduate refers to the work usually accomplished in the first four years of a college education, typically known as the bachelor's degree. Now, universities will typically have several colleges within them. At the University of Minnesota, for example, you'll find the College of Biological Sciences, the College of Design, the College of Education and Human Development, the College of Food, Agriculture, and Natural Resource Sciences, the College of Liberal Arts, College of Management, which is their business school, the College of Nursing, and the College of Science and Engineering. Now, different universities name and organize their colleges differently. At a liberal arts college, you do not find this structural segmentation, but you do have access to some of the best instruction in the country. As categories of schools, the difference between universities and colleges cannot be boiled down to a qualitative advantage given to either. Many people wonder about the difference between private and public institutions. Generally, with a few notable exceptions, when you hear the words university of followed by a state, well, you're probably looking at a public institution. Or if you hear a state followed by the words state university, you're looking at a public institution. <laughs> and in virtually every case, when you hear a direction such as southern, eastern, western, or northern, followed by the term university, you're looking at a public university. So this would include Penn State, Southern Illinois University, University of California at Los Angeles, and many, many more. Two notable universities which are labeled this way, but which are not public, include one of our nation's most prestigious private institutions founded by Ben Franklin, and this is the University of Pennsylvania. Now, many people simply refer to it as Penn, and it is among the Ivy League and is on par with the likes of Harvard, Princeton, Columbia, and Yale. The other is Northwestern University. Now, this is one of the nation's finest private institutions as well, and is located along the western shore of Lake Michigan, just north of Chicago. It was founded in 1851. Public institutions also include the United States military academies like West Point or the Naval Academy at Annapolis or the Air Force Academy near Colorado Springs. Now, these are, of course, federally and not state funded and are among the finest institutions of higher learning in America. Many of the nation's top colleges and universities are private, nonprofit institutions. These include famous ones you've heard of before, like Harvard, Yale, Georgetown, Notre Dame, Princeton, and Stanford, as well as many you probably haven't heard of, like Middlebury or Pomona, Bowdoin, Kenyon, Carleton, Grinnell, 
and Vassar. These are all excellent schools and tend to be among the most selective, meaning that they are the most difficult to get into. Private schools tend to be smaller and feature much smaller class size than their public counterparts. Private institutions are typically much more expensive than public schools. However, I am routinely able to help families find their way into some of the nation's top private schools, some of those I've mentioned here, at a much lower net cost than what their families might have spent at a typical public school, even a regional public school. So this is because many selective and highly selective private schools feature a needs-based financial aid policy, which will very often enable a student from a lower-income family to attend at no cost at all. Now, every institution is different, but most of the top 100 private schools will cover a student's tuition if their family can demonstrate family household income of less than about $125,000 a year. Now, if a family shows household income of less than $75,000 a year, virtually all costs, including room and board, will typically be covered by the school. I think this is one of the best-kept secrets that is really no secret at all about college admissions, but still seems to be one of these things that so few families realize, but I think is so critically important. Top private institutions can be very difficult to get into, and usually they require some combination of a high GPA, a strong ACT or SAT score, solid extracurriculars, excellent letters of reference, a strong essay submission, and very often a strong alumni interview. But it is totally doable, and I frequently remind rural students and their parents that top schools like Washington University in St. Louis, uh, University of Chicago, Vanderbilt, Harvard, Georgetown, Notre Dame, and others rarely see kids from places like ours even apply. And frankly, I think that's tragic because every one of those institutions needs students like ours. They need kids who grew up in low-income settings, kids who bow-hunted turkey, kids who shot skeet or participated on a bass fishing team. They actually crave smart, hard-working kids from these kinds of backgrounds. Why? Well, it's easy. Great schools value strong diversity, and increasingly, those schools are filling all their spots with kids who almost entirely come from top suburban public high schools and high-end college prep schools. Now, I have nothing against those schools. These are wonderful, wonderful high school opportunities for these students, and their kids work hard too. But you know what? Colleges and universities are all about exploring the entirety of our world, and that means that the inclusion of kids like ours from places like ours makes those schools stronger, and they know it. Now, I always, always recommend to rural students that they make submissions to what they will consider total reach schools. In other words, schools that they don't think they have a very good chance of getting into. I suggest to students that go ahead, include Stanford, Penn, University of Chicago, Yale, Harvard. You may be surprised. And you always get to consider their financial aid package before you have to accept. So really, very little to lose. Even the application fee is typically waived if you're applying with financial aid. Now, most top private schools will not offer athletic scholarships. Some more selective private schools will. And in either case, you can often enhance your admissions odds through your varsity athletic experience. Bear in mind, most of these schools are Division III schools. And so, the competition for spots on the squad or team aren't quite what they'd be at a D1 school. 
Public institutions tend to be much larger and offer a range of diversity that can be very attractive. You will also find tremendous social scenes and the excitement of big-time athletics at large state schools. Also, many state schools offer merit scholarship that will lower the cost of tuition significantly. Programmatic strengths at state schools are as variable as the schools themselves, but can often be quite good and rival the very best private schools. The University of Iowa, for example, has one of the nation's top graduate creative writing programs in the country. Better than Harvard. Better than Yale. And there is also a tremendous alumni network associated with large public institutions. And there is nothing quite like running into a fellow alum who's wearing the same swag as you are when you're out shopping at Costco or Walmart. When you consider the broader purpose of college, to educate and prepare, you might do well to consider the value of environment. Sure, students can certainly learn close to home, and for some, this is necessary, and that's perfectly fine. But a huge opportunity presents in studying some distance from home. For this to take hold, consider putting yourself far enough away from home that it makes it impractical to travel home every weekend. Consider a school that puts you just a bit out of your comfort zone geographically, because where we stretch is often where we grow. So students will learn independence, interdependence, and more simply by going to college at least a few hundred miles from home. Virtually every school in the country has something it is known for academically. Do your best to avoid the allure of prestige and rankings as seen in the U.S. News and World Report college rankings. Instead, find out who has the rock star program in your area of interest. Create a list of three categories of schools. Number one, reach schools. All right, these are schools that are maybe a little bit out of your range, a little difficult, maybe maybe more than a little difficult to get into. You might even think of them as being impossible to get into. But you know what? Put some of these schools on your list anyway. All right, then the second category is good chance schools. Okay, these are the schools that you feel you have a pretty good chance of gaining admissions to. And you're going to have a good mix of schools here as well. The third This is your safety list, okay? These are the schools that if all else fails and your reach schools say no and your good chance schools say no, you've always got your safety schools, right? These are schools that you'd be very happy attending, but you know that the admissions policies make them a little easier to get into. Now, I'm going to encourage you to examine the schools that feature the kinds of strengths you're looking for in terms of public versus private, city versus rural or suburban, distance from home, and the region of the country. You know, when my son and I went through this process in 2017, I was sure this Midwestern kid would be drawn to a California school for all that California is, right? And we visited them. But you know what? In the end, he stayed in the Midwest. So the six pillars of admissions appeal include grade point average, your ACT or SAT score, although many, many schools are now going test optional, essay, interviews, reference letters, and your extracurriculars. But I'm going to let you in on a secret and tell you right now that the number one thing all of this boils down to is your story. Remember that. Your story is the one thing that matters the most to admissions directors and admissions officers. And the compelling presentation of that story really should be your number one goal. And you can do this through a combination of things we'll discuss in later episodes. Of course, you'll not want to put yourself into the sort of academic rigor you simply cannot handle. But don't sell yourself short. You can perform in virtually any school to which you can gain admissions. 
Now, it may surprise you to hear it, but these admissions officers are very, very good at knowing who will and who won't perform well in their schools. You might even say they will know you better than you know yourself by the time they've considered your application completely. But fit is also about a set of intangibles that are sometimes hard to put your finger on through a measurable metric or a statistic. And sometimes you just have to visit a school and take a tour to see how it feels to you. To use your gut is important in this decision-making process. Then you'll get a different vibe from one school than you will from another. And that is your gut doing its job. But it's hard to tour every school you may want to consider. And especially during COVID, we just don't have that option. But you can visit what I call stand-in schools for those you'd like to consider or have on one of your three lists. So if you think you might like to take a look at the University of Michigan, but you just can't get to Ann Arbor, well, visit your state flagship school. If you're in Indiana, head over to Bloomington. If you're in Illinois, head on up to Champaign. If you're in Florida, go to Gainesville. If you're in Colorado, go to Boulder. You get the idea. You'll get a good sense of what a large public school feels like. Now, if you think Pomona is your speed, but you can't get to California for a campus tour because you live in, let's say, uh, Iowa, well, look, go visit Grinnell or drive a few hours north to Carlton up in Minnesota. All three schools share a small, highly selective liberal arts vibe. If you like the idea of a school in a big city, see if you can make a run to the biggest nearby city and visit the school there. If you're near St. Louis, go visit Washington University. If you're near Minneapolis, go check out University of Minnesota. If you're near Columbus, go look at Ohio State. So this gives you a sense of schools that are operating within the sort of background that you're interested in. They may not be the exact school that you're thinking about, but they can stand in for that school in a visit if you're incapable of getting across the country to go visit the exact school. Now, you can also get a lot of very good information from the schools themselves, many of which offer excellent online tours, especially now during COVID. Some of them have become very creative at putting their schools out there in virtual tours. Now, at the end of the day, college is an exciting opportunity to explore our individuality, to learn about our world, and to meet new friends and build the foundation of our professional networks. But no two students will have the same requirements or preferences in this decision. It is always, always, always about finding the best fit for you. Do not, I repeat, do not chase prestige. But neither should you shy away from it. Because look, if Harvard makes sense, then go there. It is an excellent school, apart from just having that prestige attached to its brand. Now, some schools have a reputation for being one thing or another. For example, some schools have a reputation for being party schools. Tulane and the University of Wisconsin at Madison come to mind. Some are thought of as sort of nerd paradise schools. I think of Caltech. I think of University of Chicago. I mean, University of Chicago, their slogan <laughs> is actually where fun goes to die. I mean, hello. Um, that is not a party school. <laughs> and some are just really great schools flying below the radar preparing the next generation of leaders in all kinds of disciplines, like Middlebury, Grinnell, and Harvey Mudd. But the choice is yours, and you will always do well to tighten up your application, your essay, your GPA, and your test performance, just as it's difficult to be overdressed. It's very difficult to be overprepared when it comes to applying for college. Now, I'll leave you with this thought. 
If you never considered anything besides your local community college or regional university before, I want to encourage you to take the opportunity to do so now. Now, it may work out to where that local school is exactly the right choice for you. But you know what? You'll never know until you examine the alternatives, until you vet the field and identify the best options, not for some other kid from your school, but specifically for you. Next week, we'll debunk some myths, what college is and what it isn't. Until then, I'm Craig Williams, and I'm looking forward to speaking with you next week for Beyond the Tassel. 